0: You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. Good morning, let's go to John chapter 15 together. So if you have your copy of God's Word, and I hope you do, or at least a device with you, let's go to the 15th chapter of John. It's the fourth book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The 15th chapter is one of the most well-known and vital chapters in all of the New Testament. In fact, our challenge to you is for you to memorize John chapter 15, verses 1 through 17 over the course of the next few weeks. And so we we dare you to do that, to hide that into your heart, to, to have deep within you this vital chapter of Christian living. Being saved by Christ has two fundamental implications. First of all, it means, believers, that when we die, we spend eternity with Christ. That is the implication of those whose lives are in Christ Jesus. But the second implication of being saved by Jesus is that we live here on earth for God until we enter into Christ's heaven. So when we die, believers, we're going to go to heaven in the meantime because we're still here today. And you are still here today, aren't you? Uh, Would you just turn to the person next to you and and say, I'm still here. Just let them know that you're still here. I'm still here. Good. Good, 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 good. If anybody's not, let us know, but I'm assuming you're all here. Assuming that you're all here today, God has left you on earth to live for him, Christian. So, brothers and sisters, we're headed there, but today we're here. How then do we live for God? How then do we allow our lives to count for Jesus, our lives to count for his gospel? Well, Jesus answers that question for us here in John chapter 15, verse, verse 5. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. In John 15, verses 1 through 11, Jesus is describing the the Christian life. and He describes it as being a life that bears fruit, a life that is fruitful. But this description of a fruitful life is not unique only to John chapter 15. All throughout the New Testament that that thought of of living for God is described as bearing fruit. So in Matthew chapter 3 verse 8 John the Baptist describes repentance as fruit. Uh, Jesus describes in Matthew chapter 7 verse 16 that the evidence of spiritual authenticity if you truly are saved you're truly in Christ that there will be a fruitfulness to your life. Romans chapter 1, verse 13 says that anyone who leads someone else to Jesus, points someone else to Christ, and they find salvation in Christ, the, 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 Paul refers to that as, as, as being fruitful. Romans chapter 6, verse 22 refers to growing in holiness or maturing in holiness as, as bearing fruit. Romans chapter 15, verse 28 says that financial offerings, giving money to the cause of the gospel. That's that's evidence of a life that has fruit in it. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23 is that list of all those Christ-like characteristics. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are all the fruit of the spirit. And then Colossians chapter 1 verse 6 it, it pictures a church that is growing in number but also growing in spiritual maturity as a church that is bearing fruit. Colossians chapter 1 verse 10 says doing good works is is fruit. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 15 says that worship to God, giving our praise to God is the fruit of our lips. So all throughout the New Testament effective Christian living is seen as a life that is But here in John 15, we're given a a definite explanation of then how we are to bear fruit. How is it that we bear fruit? And it all hinges on the claim of Jesus in John chapter 15, verse 1, when he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Jesus says, I am the true vine. If you feel okay with it, underline that word true in your Bible. This is the seventh time in the Gospel of John that Jesus is going to use an I am statement. There's only two of the seven times that Jesus puts a qualifier or or an adjective. Normally he says, "I'm, I'm the gate. I'm the shepherd. I'm the door. I'm the truth. I'm the way. I'm the life. But here he says, I'm not just, I'm the vine, but I am the true vine. And I don't think any of the words of Jesus falls to the ground. So why would he say, I'm the true vine? You can write this in your notes. Christ as the true vine means there are false vines. A vine is what we're connected to to get get life. This is the story, the picture here in John 15. A branch is connected to a vine to, to draw life and to draw strength from that branch. So it's from that vine as a branch. So Jesus identifies himself here as the true one, the true vine. But all of us in this house, everybody watching online today, we are fully aware that there are such things as false vines, things that we try to attach our lives to and unsuccessfully are trying to draw life from those things and strength from those things. I think about relationships, you know, friendships, or maybe having a wife or a husband or kids or a good relationship with, with your parents. Let me just say, all those things are a great grace from God. Friendships are a great grace from God. Uh, My wife is a great grace from God. Your future wife, your future husband, a great grace from God. Your present husband, your present wife, a great grace from God. Your kids, a great grace from God. But here's where that can be a false vine for us. And when we look to our spouse or look to our friends or look to our kids and say, give me life. And give me strength. I think relationships are probably our number one false vine. Uh, I would probably also say comfort and success. Those are false vines. We try to attach ourselves to comfort. We try to attach ourselves to success thinking that we can draw life or we can draw strength from comfort and success. We all know this. Those things are fleeting. You may be comfortable one day and completely uncomfortable the next day. You may be successful one day and completely unsuccessful the other day. The other word I thought of was the word status. Like where do I fit in? I'm always trying to aim for the top. You know, the thing about status is we put so much life into status and strength into status. The status doesn't give us life and strength. It drains us of life and strength. Those are all false vines. But praise God today, Highland, that there is a true vine, which means we really can truly draw life and strength from Christ. And when we draw life and strength from Jesus, we bear fruit. I gave this definition last week. and A lot of you are out of town, so let me give it to you again. Bearing fruit is God's character and presence in you seen Externally, it's the presence of God in you, the character of God in you that others can see. What's the character of God? Let me just throw out a few attributes graceful, humble, filled with love. So, if that's the character of God in you, bearing fruit is that other people look at you and see the humility of God in your life. They see the love of God in your life. They see the the, the joy of God in your life. They see the grace of God in your life. That's what it means to bear fruit, that the character, the presence of God is seen by others. Also, let's talk about the power of God in you. If you're a Christian, you have the power of God in you. Therefore, what's the fruit of the power of God in our lives? Courage and confidence and victory that is bearing fruit it's not you trying to produce something in your own power in your own strength it is the presence of God coming out uh, the mission of God the mission of God is to exalt Christ the mission of God is to glorify his son Jesus the mission of God is to take the gospel to Waco the mission of God is to take the gospel to the world therefore we know that we're bearing fruit when we also have not only the character of God and the power of God but also the mission of God seen by others in our lives this is what it means to bear fruit Check out John 15 and how it speaks of of fruit. Look at John 15, verse 2. Your Bible's still open. I assume every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. This is God, the vine dresser, the gardener. He takes it away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So verse 2, we go from no fruit to fruit to more fruit. Look at verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. So now we're moving along, not just more fruit, but now we have much fruit. Jump down to verse 16. We have not read that yet in this series, and we'll get there pretty soon. But verse 16 says, you did not choose me. This is Jesus speaking to his people, speaking to you, Christian. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. There it is again. And that your fruit should abide, which is the Greek word "meno," which means to continue, which should last forever. So don't, don't miss the progression of the text right here in John 15. God wants us to move from verse 2, no fruit, to fruit, to much fruit, to verse 5, or to more fruit, give me, verse 2, to verse 5, much fruit, to verse 16, lasting fruit. So, God is at work in us to make our lives count for Him by uniting our lives to, verse 5, the true vine, or verse 1, the true vine Jesus. And we cannot do anything to produce fruit in our lives apart from Him. That's verse 5. Our lives are only bearing fruit as we are drawing life and strength from Jesus, just as a branch draws life and strength when it's connected to the vine. Ultimately, ultimately, God's purpose for your life is not just to be a great person. Ultimately, God's great design for your life is not just to be a a great mom or, or a great dad or a great friend or a great son or a great daughter. Ultimately, God's purpose is not to transform you into the world's best student. Ultimately, God's design for you his purpose for you is not to transform you into the best teacher or the best plumber or the best CEO or the best electrician. Or the best police officer, whatever it is that, that you do, God is not working to give you a greater position or greater prosperity or greater possessions. In O'Highland, watch out because there's preachers out there today in our nation that will tickle your ears with such unbiblical things. It is not God's highest purpose for you, for you to be successful or comfortable or even healthy. So what is God's desire? What is God's purpose for our lives? Here it is. God's one unbending purpose is to shape you into the image of his son and thus bear fruit through your life. That is God's unbending, unyielding purpose for his people, for his daughters and his sons, is that you be conformed to the image of Christ, Romans chapter 8, verse 29. And as you're conformed into the image of Christ, and he begins to shape you in the image of his son Jesus, he'll begin to bear more fruit, much fruit, and fruit that will last. Now know this, he may be well pleased to help you become an amazing electrician or a phenomenal student. God may be well pleased to help you become a great mom or a great basketball player or a successful CEO or a great preacher or or a great great plumber, but that's not his ultimate concern for you. His objective for your life. I assume you came to church to hear this today, to hear what God says about you and about himself. His great objective for your life here on earth today is to make you more and more like his eternal son, Jesus Christ, and to bear fruit through your life. Life, So that your life may count for God, for the Son, for the Gospel, and for the Kingdom. How? I'm to give you three things today out of this passage. How is it then that we can, we can bear fruit? How is it if it's God's unbending, unyielding purpose to shape us into the image of Christ and to bear fruit through our lives? How is he going to do this? Point number one today. God will set you in a place to bring about fruit. He's going to place you somewhere Where he can start bearing fruit through your life. God is the gardener. Verse 1, the vine dresser. That means he's the chief gardener. He's the controlling gardener. And God the gardener is great at growing fruit. That is again his character in you being seen by others. So what does he do? He plants you in the right place. When Luke was writing in Acts chapter 17 verse 26. He says that God determines the boundaries of our dwelling places. In other words, this God who creates us, then God determines where we're going to be. He establishes where we're going to be, where we're going to live. That means there are no accidents in the life of a believer. Uh, this means that God plants us where he knows that he can, in our lives, develop much fruit. And it's not always easy, easy to understand why God planted us in a certain place. In fact, quite honestly, we often ask God, why did you put me here at this time? At this place, often we say, God, what are you doing in my life? Why have you put me in this certain chapter in my life? If you're really there, why am I really here? But here's the essence of faith it's believing that God sovereignly puts us in places. Oh, so I'm gonna, we're going to reduce the crowd when I say this. God did not put you in a place to make you happy, He put you in a place to make you holy and to bear fruit through your life. He planted you where he knows he can most bear the most lasting fruit through your life. Where he has you is not an accident, but instead by providential appointment. Here's my little sub-point to that. You'll never find yourself in a place where God is not. I mean, you may think right now, preacher guy, you have no idea how horrendous this chapter is in my life. You have no idea how lonely I am or how lost I feel how abandoned I feel, how betrayed I feel, how, how, how isolated I feel, in maybe a brand new city or brand new college or brand new work. Let me just tell you this. You'll never find yourself in a place where God is not. He'll never place you in a situation where he is absent. The great African-American pastor that I love, Pastor Dr. Lockridge says, where God's finger points, his hand protects. Here's the second thing. God's power through Christ will bring about the fruit. It is God's power through, through Jesus that will bring about the fruit. And some of y'all who are kind of type A, some of y'all who are kind of highly strung, some of y'all who are not just achievers but overachievers, this is really important for you to hear. It is not you bringing about the fruit. It is God's power through Christ bringing about the fruit, the evidence of God seen by others in your life. I remember a story my dad. Shared in a sermon. My dad was my pastor growing up here in Waco. And I, it's weird what you remember all these years later. I remember my dad telling a story about a little mouse that was crossing a bridge with his friend, a big old elephant. So, a true story big old elephant, and this mouse crossing, and they were crossing over this, this deep ravine on a, on a bridge. And as on that bridge, that, that bridge began to sway back and forth under the weight of that huge elephant. And it was, it was, it was, it was scary for, for the mouse. Like it was just rocking back and forth. And finally, they, they safely made it to the other side. And, and the mouse looked up at his huge companion and said, we sure did shake that bridge, didn't we? <laughs> I think sometimes that's really what it's like to walk with God. Do not lose sight of where your spiritual weightiness comes from. And it is walking with with God. It is it is understanding that we can't, we can't lose that true source of our strength. It is walking with God. Our lives are fruitful and productive. Our lives count for something only because of Christ in us. It is no goodness of our own. We can't produce spiritual fruit on our own. Why is that? Because our minds are sinful. Our eyes are lustful. Our mouths are poisonous. Our necks are stiff. Our hearts are self-centered. Our hands are impure. Our feet run to ungodliness. Without Christ, huh, let me just go on record on saying this, this will reduce the crowd even more for next week. Without Christ, we're failures. Without Christ, there's no way that we can produce fruit. There's no way that we can have the evidence of God in our lives without Christ. But when we believe on Christ as the forgiver of our sins, when we believe upon Christ as the leader of our lives, then everything changes. You see, the Lord begins to sovereignly transform our lives from spiritual barrenness to spiritual fruitfulness. So, point to that. A good axiom to hold on to. Blessed is the one who knows there's only one God, and so stop supplying for that position. Happy is the one. I mean, if you're looking for joy, for happiness... For a blessed life, go ahead and be okay with the fact that you're not God. Stop trying to push him aside and take over. And in other words, if we're going to live fruitful lives, we've got to stop trying to be the gardener. If we're going to live fruitful lives, we've got to stop trying to be the vine. And just remember that we are the branch. I'm the branch, you're a branch. Verse 5, I am the vine, Jesus says, and you are the branches. We cannot allow any successes in our lives to begin to cause us to think that somehow we can do things without Christ. Man, you would think at my age, in this position, remember, I'm a pastor, I'm paid to be spiritual, you would think that I would have gotten this lesson by now. I still have to relearn every few days the utter futility and the emptiness of trying to accomplish something in my own strength, of any eternal value in my own strength. It cannot be done. Want to be a godly parent? in your own power, you can't. I want to be an amazing husband, an amazing wife. It cannot be done on your own. I want to be the most amazing God-honoring student of all time. It cannot be done on your own. I want to shine at work and shine in the neighborhood with the radiance of Christ. It cannot be done on your own. But flip the record and play the other side. And I know I just lost everybody under the age of 20 when I said that. But flip the record over. In Christ, all things are possible. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 says, Blessed be the Lord and Father of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in in heavenly places. So I'm not telling you today that you can do nothing. I'm just saying that you can do nothing. But in Christ, you have every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Colossians chapter 2, verse 10 says, And you now are complete in him. You're complete. You're whole in him. He he who is the head of all principalities and all powers. Let me say again, without Christ, you can do no thing. But let me encourage you today. In Christ Jesus, all things are possible. You have been given every spiritual blessing through Christ. Every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. So here's the third thing I want you to see in bearing fruit as we wrap this up. Then what's our role in bringing about fruit? Or if you will, what does it mean to be a branch? Durham, you've talked, that's my last name. Durham, you've talked about the divine today, like Okay, we know that it's Christ. We know that he's the one that brings the blessing. We know he's the one that brings the life and and we know that he's the one that brings the strength. But what about us? Like what's our role in bringing about fruit? Where are we in John 15? I'm glad you asked. Three things, commands given to us in the bearing of fruit. The first thing is this, abide in his word. Look at verse seven, chapter 15. If you abide in me, And my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done. It will be done for you. So what's our role? First of all, it's just abiding in the word of God. Be the one, sister and brother. Be the one who loves God's word, who lives in God's word, who believes God's word, who obeys God's word, who treasures God's word. What's our role in bringing about fruit? Here's the second thing, abide in his love. Verse 9, chapter 15. As the Father has loved me. Wow, consider how rich this love is. As the Father, Jesus says, has loved me, so I love you. So have I loved you. And then here's a command. In Greek, this is a directive, not a suggestion. Abide in my love. That's what I'm saying to you today, Christian. Rest in his immeasurable love. His inexhaustible love for you that is so clearly seen in his cross. How how much does Jesus love you? Look at his cross. How inexhaustible is his love, his grace, his mercy toward you? Look at his cross. Where the perfect son of God laid down his life for you. That's love. Abide in that love. Thirdly, abide in his joy. This is our role in bringing about the fruit, abide in his word, love his word, abide in his, in his, in his love, rest in his immeasurable love. Th- thirdly, abide in his joy. Look at verse 11. John chapter 15, verse, verse 11. These things I have spoken to you, I've given you this sermon, Jesus says, and I'm about to head to the cross right now, but I say these things to you that my joy may be in you and then that your joy may be full. Jesus joyfully cares for you Someone needs to hear this today. Listen. Jesus enjoys you. Some of you came here today thinking that Jesus just judges you. Jesus enjoys you. He is, how about this? He is drawn toward you. He's a pursuer of people. Jesus enjoys you. His great joy, his great joy is your great joy. And we can flip that. Our great joy is his great joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Let me wrap up with this statement that a lot of us need to hear. The preacher needs to hear this today. Jesus has zero expectation of you impressing him. Just an expectation of you abiding in him. I know I know there's something that came today going, I've I've got to be at church because I need to impress Jesus. I need to to sing the right words and lift my hands at the right time and say the right things to the people to, to impress Jesus. I need to have a time with God tomorrow morning so I can impress him. There is nowhere in the Bible where Jesus is asking you to impress him. Just to abide in him. Just to draw life and strength from him, to abide in his word, to abide in his love, to abide in his joy how do you impress somebody anyway that speaks to waves and makes them calm down? How do you impress somebody that knows all the stars by name? How do you impress someone that by their own authority lifted their life out of a dead grave? He's just asking you, daughter and son of God, to abide in him. Would you stand with me, please? Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for this time in your presence. And those who are in Christ, we rest in what you have done for us, Jesus. We fully understand that we can be so faithless, but Jesus, we also fully believe that you're so faithful. So it's not us holding on to your love today, it's your love holding on to us. So the cry of our hearts, the passionate plea—even if this next song we sing is a song to you, God, not to the person next to us, the people on stage, God, this song is to you. Abide with us. Personally, my song will be "Abide with Me." Thank you, God, for this love that will not let us go. What wonderful love! Abide with us.